Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, get into it. Your host, Paul Cuthbert and Liam Maguire. Slanta, fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Well, good day and good evening and good afternoon, wherever you are. I'm sorry, Seamus, but the games won't be coming on soon. <laughs> a bit of a pause going on in the sports world right now. But ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sticks and Taps. Probably the only bar open in the world right now. <laughs> Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, here in New York. And ladies and gentlemen, please say hi to your friend and mine. Me, mate, from Ottawa, in the great white north, Mr. Liam McGuire. Liam. How's she going? How's she going, Polly? How's she going? <laughs> I don't know what Can to say. Can you hear me through my mask? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Can you hear me through my mask? <laughs> Did you wash your hands, Liam? I'm not going forward. This yes, is- I, 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 I tell everyone I, I wash my hands with scotch because I hate scotch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, welcome to a coronavirus-free <laughs> version of Sticks and Taps, ladies and gentlemen. Uh Unbelievable stuff going on, as everybody knows. It's affecting everybody in their own areas. Our our, our lives are changing here a little bit. Um, I guess Liam, you know, you got to do it for the, all the right reasons. There, uh, it's like you know, I'm, I've been kind of saying to everybody, hey, it's like if they're preparing for a hurricane, right? You you got to get ready. You got to prepare for it. If nothing happens, nothing happens. But here we are, pal. I mean, uh, you were down yeah. in Philly and you had to jump back on a flight and head back on up. How you doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, 24 hours. I I left yesterday morning. No, excuse me. I, my flight was at one o'clock. I left at one o'clock. It's a quick flight, less than an hour and a half to Philly. I land. I um, get over to the hotel, get checked in, get sorted. Um, uh, you know, was uh, just anticipating seeing some people, and that was the first red flag. The people that I had scheduled to hook up with both messaged me for different reasons and said that uh, they had restrictions um, for for reasons their own lives that they couldn't uh, hook up due to due to this precautionary things one had young children it's an incident at the school or whatever so they didn't want to go out the other one didn't want to come across town so that got canceled i hook up with brad marsh on the phone tells me he'd phone me back and it sounded kind of funny in his voice and then uh phoned me about 30 minutes later and said that uh literally just minutes before uh, the edict had gone out i guess through the state of pennsylvania effectively shutting down their function last night because they were you know certainly expecting a a significant crowd and pretty much anything with any type of a crowd beyond a, that would fit in a phone booth has been shut down so so we got shut down and there I was you know not on the, on the ground for about three and a half hours from home and uh so we able you know, to get a pint in at least <laughs> well you know Paulie I made the decision at that time that I was gonna drink till I couldn't see and uh, so I went down to the hotel bar and launched a major assault on uh, American beer. You know, it was close to water. And then uh, Marshy must have sensed in my voice that something was wrong because he came to the hotel and said, let's go. Got me out of there. We hooked up with Kelly Chase for a few pints first. So that was great. He was scheduled to be one of the headliners. And and uh, we, we had about a half hour with him and had a few pints and then um, – and then Marcy said, let's go. And we went to uh, this bar. We crossed the Walt Whitman Bridge over to the Jersey side and went to an old flyer haunt called Kaminsky's. 
which was absolutely rocking. The place was packed. <laughs> Everybody, there wasn't, you'd never know in a million years it was this pandemic sweeping the world. Those people were just trying to sweep every drop of alcohol out of that place. And uh, we rolled in there and hooked up with, um, with Ray Allison of the Allison-Prop-Boshman combo of the Brandon Wheat Kings of the late 90s, one of the greatest junior lines in hockey history. And Ray was in there, and Glenn Cochran, who was supposed to be a headliner for us as well uh, tonight, uh, was was there. And uh, of course, they're former teammates of Brad's with the Flyers, and and uh, we just uh, we spent the next number of hours. Um, and they were with a, a large group of guys, uh, some different guys, a couple of hockey scouts, and a few other people. It was all hardcore hockey, and and an ESPN guy actually. And um, and we just had a fa- we had a fabulous time, absolutely fantastic time. Stayed there, lit her up large, and uh, they packaged me up in an Uber hours later and uh, got myself back to the hotel. And I was on uh, on a bird winging home to Ottawa at 10.30 this morning, and here we are. So Unbelievable. Lost, lost oh. and, and there you have it. But at least I had a chance to uh, to see my good friend Brad Marsh again and and to uh, and to catch up a little bit with uh, with some of those other. Kelly Chase I knew a little bit, Glenn Cochran and Ray Allison I'd never met before. And I told Ray, I said, man, I see Lori Boschman all the time. Like he's a current president of the Ottawa Senator alumni, and I, I do a lot of events for them. And and Lori, um, Lori is just a fantastic guy, and he was part of that line with uh, with Brian Prop. So, so that uh, that's my last twenty four hours, brother. What about you? <laughs> you got a good session in there. Uh, real quick, I want, I want to ask you something on the Brad Marsh thing, though. Before I tell you my my last twenty four hours, um, what's Marshy up to today? I mean, how is he involved with the Flyers or uh, local hockey or what's yeah. he doing these days? He's 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 got he wears two hats there for the for the Flyers. He's their he's their uh, community uh, director, uh, community outreach director. I forget the exact official wording, but he's also president of the Flyer alumni and. I can tell you, Paulie, I've done a lot of work for a lot of alumni in the NHL, and that Flyer alumni is a very, very powerful entity. They are a strong, strong unit. Uh, they do a tremendous amount. Their their biggest endeavor for about the last two to three years, yeah, it'd be about that, be about three years now, is they have affiliated themselves in a large way with uh, veterans who have come back from the Middle East. These are obviously American war veterans who have uh, suffered um, different injuries, could be physical, could be mental, could be whatever, but they're byproduct of their service overseas. And Marshy has grouped these men and women into a hockey team. So uh, you either can skate, you can play, and if you can't, you can still be affiliated. And they're called the Warriors. That's the name of their team. And uh, and they have done numerous events, numerous events together. And it and they were scheduled to be a part of the show tonight as well. And so it's a real shame. But I mean, obviously, it won't be the end of this. We'll come out of this globally and, and, uh, you know, up for fresh air here at some point in time and we'll get on with our lives. But but uh, I just love it. You know how strongly I feel about the military the world over. I'm a huge supporter of our military and our first responders. And I love what Marshy's done. And I know how proud Americans are of their men and women who have served uh, either currently or in the past and let alone in the, the war to end all wars or the Great War and, and certainly Korea and, uh, and Vietnam and, and, of course, the current conflicts. And, and I just think that's fantastic. And uh, 
So Marshy is uh, working as a community outreach guy for the Flyers through there, and and he's a Presley alumni. He's he looks fantastic. Uh, he absolutely is in great shape, and he's still skating himself. He plays himself, and he goes out on the ice, and and he's um, you know they live just across the bridge on the Jersey side. That's where his wife grew up, Patty, and his kids are all older now. But his daughter was coming in last night, so he was going to see her later. Uh, after our excursion there at Kaminsky's and, uh, and he, um, I messaged him a couple times today. He was just checking, make sure I got home safe and everything, but that's what he's doing and he's enjoying life and he's that's doing well. Good stuff. And what's the, uh, there's a Friday night fights theme around this thing too, right? That's what it was tonight. Yeah. It was supposed to be the Friday night fights part two. So that's where you had Kelly chase, Joey Kosher, Marty McSorley, oh, Joey was gonna Jeremy Aronick, Glenn Cochran, Dave Brown and Dave Schultz. And I was the MC. Oh, I was wow. hired to, you know, bringing me in to MC this. I did it last year, and and uh, they brought me back. It was so successful last year, Paulie. They made so much money for their respective char- charities through the alumni, and the Warriors were were a byproduct of that as well. But um, uh, the sponsors absolutely loved it last year. Marshy's tripping over sponsors that wanted right. to be part of this. When you know yourself, you've been in, in, involved in enough things to know that if you've got the sponsors coming on board, then that's the simplest. You build it, they will. The, the, the people will come, and yep. uh, and they they it's you know the, your ticket included um, an unbelievable buffet. It's in this old warehouse in South Philly that was it was you know converted into this entertainment venue. And again, as a musician, you would love this. It's got fantastic acoustics, great staging area. They've left a ton of stuff on the walls that have been there over the decades, and they've held they've held UFC fights in there and. Boxing, obviously, and and uh, uh, numerous bands have played in there. I mean, it's not a. This isn't. I mean, you you know, you could get maybe I don't know, twelve hundred people, fourteen hundred people in, if you absolutely uh, were maxing out for an event or something. We wouldn't have drawn that, but but it. Um, it still, they were they were expecting a good crowd, and uh, and you know, I was ready to light it up large <laughs> on stage, and uh, you know, um, we will we'll do it again. But uh, yeah, that was for Friday Night Fights Part Two. And the irony of it all, Paulie, is that the the uh, original concept for this, the fundraiser actually for this year, largely was to go to uh, Dave Schultz's uh, granddaughter's family. Uh, she was stricken with cancer, she's nine years old, and wow. sadly, two weeks ago, she passed away and at the age of nine, Dave Schultz's granddaughter. So um, terrible. The whole event, even before all this uh, uh, coronavirus stuff started, was was up in, in the air because Dave Schultz is the headliner, obviously, and we didn't know if he wanted to still do it. But he decided he wanted to go ahead because he wanted to, to help in his own way as a grandfather and obviously his son's dad to uh, to raise some funds still for that for their family. And so it was to go ahead anyway. And then, of course, this happened. So but that's who it was essentially supposed to be for this year but uh as marshy said uh to me both last night and this morning um you know this is not canceled it's 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 postponed if it's if they do have to regretfully go a whole year before they do it again so be it but the concept is not going to die that's the bottom line they're going to do it again there's an appetite for it there was a demand for it um the sponsors loved it and and the fan base loved it and uh and, you know, it was it, everything, the videos we had, the screens, the organization, the committee, uh, my little role that I played, I, I was happy to be a part of. And, of course, Marshy is sort of the grand poobah of it all. Anyway, there you have it, brother. It's um, that was I was down for 24 hours in Philly. And like uh, 
like some, I don't know what one of my brothers said to me, long way to go to have a pile of pints. I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sure was. But uh, I had a hell of a good time though. Cause once, uh, once I put that, turned that switch on there last night, I know I was going to wreck some havoc somewhere. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> it's all good. Great company too, man. That's uh that's some great names, some good crew that you mentioned there too. And it's, uh, it's always oh, a yeah. great cause, man. That's uh, anytime you're doing anything for the military and, it's great to see these former players just banding together and, and continuing to, uh, you know, help out with fundraisers and causes and stuff. And I'm sure it's just a great way for them to um, just to kind of, you know, have these little reunions and get together and the old war stories and, and everything else. And, and there's no doubt, like I said, you're a pro at this thing and, and, and uh, MC and all these events. And, man, I'm yeah. jealous of you, man. Just the uh, the crew that you get to hang out with and throwing a few back and, you know, all based around the, you know, the great sport of hockey, which is just some great stuff, man. There's no doubt about it. Well, I'm glad you, you got in, you got out, and, yeah, they'll put it back together. And that's basically what we're all kind of dealing here. <clears throat> I mean, myself, um, you know, I play uh, every month at a – every week, I should say, at an Irish pub here in uh, in Long Island. It's Paddy's Loft, it's called. And – um so Tuesday night, you know, it was packed. Uh, we had a great night. You know, this is the St. Patrick's week that we do uh, every week, and I usually, you know, come in there and do, you know, five, six, seven shows in around the weekend and everything else. So I don't know if I'm having my shows tomorrow. They're up in the air. Um, I know they're canceling tonight, yeah. uh, the entertainment, because they're getting a lot of cancellations, unfortunately. And there's a uh, uh, just went into effect there about an hour and 15 minutes ago as far as the, uh, the governor and the state in terms of uh, over 500 people. And then if it's anywhere like 150, 250, they got to cut the capacity to 50 percent. So it's all it's all dwindling down. And I know we're going to get into it here, too, as far as, you know, obviously uh, the sports world and obviously the NHL, which. Uh, uh, we love and uh, miss so much already <laughs> here in the last couple of days. But Wednesday night, I had my own location hockey show, that hockey show that you've been on. And uh, it was a very quiet night. Um, and uh, there's nothing you could do about it. it just it, it was what it was. And then last night, I squeezed in my um, my casino show, my U2 tribute. And um, I was glad to get the show in with the guys. And usually, you know, that place is pretty packed, uh, especially this time of the year as well, too. And you could definitely see it. It was... It was really low in capacity and uh low you know it's it's not like you know when you play the casinos out here these local casinos it's not that you necessarily you're just part of the um you're part of the oxygen and the lights and everything else and there's some great stage and you get there so it's not necessarily on us whether or not we need to bring down a crowd and stuff but our youtube tribute always does well we play this thing annually and you could just see it. It was just generally the turnout was down outside of a couple of diehards but it is what it is and we were just sitting there playing and you know, just thinking, hey, this might be the last show for all of us for a while. We're all in different um, yeah, exactly. projects. My, my drummer, actually, he's in a um, uh, national touring Bruce Springsteen tribute, and they've already canceled a couple of their shows. My my full schedule with my tribute bands here on the island, we, we actually don't really start until May, the full schedule. We've got a little breathing room. We do have a big show at the end of this month, and we've got uh, – you know, a couple more here in, in April, one or two. So if, if they don't get in, it's it's not so much affecting our big schedule. But, you know, this is what we don't know right now. But a lot of the national acts, musical acts, in, in conjunction with the sporting world and just entertainment and everything else, it's all starting to trickle down. And, you know, we just don't know. I mean, that's, I think, the uh, unfortunate thing about all of this. Obviously, yes, it's, I mean, you'd rather it be, you'd rather nothing happen, but they took the precautions anyway than if they hadn't, if they did it the other way and all of us got sick and, you know, people started dying. There's nothing you could do. This is a new kind of thing, you know, so we're just all kind of dealing. But, you know, we're all – it affects all of us, you, yourself, just whether or not you're, um, 
I mean, geez, my my poor kids, uh, my my boys' party got canceled next week. His big birthday party, well, his, you know, his, his friends and stuff, and you know, we got to yeah. break that to him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. But we move on, and we'll survive, and everybody will be okay, and and we'll just have to wait. I think the um, <clears throat> it's the um, indefinite of of when this is all gonna, you know break up to, to, to getting back to it. And I think that's the unfortunate thing. You, you get a natural disaster, which you don't want to, whether it's a snowstorm or a hurricane, there's contingency plans for that. And you know, within a week or two, either you're going to get your power back on and you know, you're going to go back to normal or you, you know, you, you, kids and your jobs, you're going to stay home for a couple of weeks, but you know, you're going to go back with this. You just don't know. And that's just a frustrating thing, but um, it is what it is, pal. But I tell you, man, I'm glad I watched that Ranger game in Colorado the other night until the end, because um, you know at least I got because if I could be a no, while, yeah, exactly, and at least you got man. a point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, buddy, hey, well, this is go ahead, man. Fire into this. I, I want to ask you something uh, specific to this whole thing. You know, as far as the the league, <clears throat> obviously, um, man, there's so many points and angles we can go there. But uh, do you ever remember anything like similar, something like this? Obviously, not in terms of a uh, a, a worldwide pandemic, obviously, but um, I mean, in the, in the years past, obviously, in the old days, in the early 1900s, everything there were this and that, and there was wars and all that other stuff. But what's your take on this whole thing right now, particularly when it leads to to hockey or any way you want to kind of talk about it? Well, this this is this here we are a hundred years later, you know, or a hundred and one to be exact, and a Spanish influenza epidemic shut down hockey, and there was no Stanley Cup awarded. So, you know, it, it, it did affect, it's 101 years ago, so it's, you, people say, well, how can you even compare? Well, I mean, it's the only comparison we have. Now, you know, it's the only thing we can draw from. The, the other ones, the bird flu or SARS or these other things, certainly never affected the sporting venues like this has. And, and the Stanley Cup was actually not awarded in 1919. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens won the NHL that year and traveled out west to play the winners of the Pacific Coast Hockey League, which were the Seattle Metropolitans, who were the first American team to win the Stanley Cup two years previous. And they were being uh, um, uh, managed by Pete Muldoon, who uh, coached and managed by Pete Muldoon, who later ended up with the Chicago Blackhawks. And when he was summarily uh, dismissed by them he, in 1927, he put on what's, what was known historically as the Muldoon curse. And he said, you will never finish in first place you know, through the rest of my life, and they and they never did. And then for years later, after he passed, it was 50 years before Chicago finished in first in the NHL oh after Muldoon died. And he was running Seattle when Montreal traveled to play them in 1919. The Spanish influenza killed over 50 million people worldwide. So it was all of that and a bag of chips, which is nowhere where we are yet and hopefully never get close to with this thing right now. But 1919, different world, different circumstances. I mean, the flu originated in, in, in Spain, and that's why they called it the Spanish uh, influenza. But and it, the, the First World War was still being fought as it was starting to spread throughout Europe. And uh, very little was said about it in North America, and it was actually almost too little too late. And I can tell you something else, Polly, from a personal point of view here. Uh, my grandfather, my mom's father, was stricken with it, and he was administered last rites, not once but twice. And he was, oh. a, thir he was a 33-year-old man at the time in perfect health, 
and was stricken with that. He had yet to meet uh, my grandmother and uh, he got married later, but uh, he was working the farm, uh, one of the boys in a little village north of Quebec City called Stoneham, where my mom grew up. And uh, this was obviously before my mom was born too, 12 years before she was born, before he was married. And he was stricken with the Spanish influenza epidemic and was administered last rites uh, on two occasions. He had a bit of a bounce back and then and then just got real sick again and looked like he was going to die. So uh, a little bit of that from a, you know, but the Stanley Cup wasn't awarded. The, the, they played five games. Each team had won two. And uh, there was a tie. They played one overtime period. And there was no goals. They had no experience with overtime in those days. They didn't know what to do. So they said, well, we'll call the game. So they called it. And then they said, okay, if there's an overtime game again or a game that ends tied after after 60 minutes, then we're going to play till as a winner, and which they did next game, and it was tied, and, and they needed to play it, and Montreal won it in overtime on a goal scored, I believe, by a man named Jack Walker. And, and so after five games, they had each won two, and they had that one tie, and Montreal could had the overwhelming majority of their players then were hospitalized. Um, one who never came out, Joe Hall, he passed away. He died at 37 years of age in a Seattle hospital in 1919 and uh his wife and his family his kids his young family were living in brandon manitoba and they were traveling by train to try and get there to see him and he passed away before they got there and the canadians um coach or the canadians the guy who ran the team managed the team and ran the team george kennedy he was stricken with it as well and he never recovered from it and he ended up dying two years later wow. from the uh from the flu so so they they canceled the cup, the series, the final, and the cup trustees went to Frank Patrick. This is the legend, one of the legendary Patrick family. This is Lester's brother, Frank, and he was running the league. And they said, we, we want to award you the Stanley Cup because you actually outscored Montreal 19 goals to 10 in the five games. And Frank Patrick and Pete, and, uh, Pete Muldoon both said, absolutely not. Uh, you know, we didn't settle it on the ice. We're not taking it that way. So 1919, no Stanley Cup winners. So who knows, Paulie? Because let's be honest here. We shut down the NHL yesterday. They're not firing this puppy back up in two weeks. So you're you're looking at, what do you think? I, I think minimum 30 days, 40, 45. Like if it goes beyond that. So the rest of the regular season is gone for sure. What do they do? I mean, I saw something on Twitter yesterday. I, I don't know if it was official or not. You know, they were looking into her arena bookings into July, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. If, as I said, if that was any any validity to that. But having said that, based on all this right now and the, the sheer paranoia mixed with the viability of the threat, whatever it may be, we could have a hundred and one year um, reoccurrence here. And I think we may. There's a potential we may not have a Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's 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 hard to think that way, but it's it, it might possibly happen that way because you know everything else has to be kind of pushed back because you know as far as you know especially uh, the arenas for hockey games and basketball. So you're talking about a second sport here, you know, because they're all going to try and come back once the green light comes on, you know, when they when right. they get the chance, you know, and then you have concerts and then you have, I mean, it's it's just unbelievable the big grand scope of it, you know. At the end of the day. You hope it doesn't happen. I mean, I, 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 I've heard too. Like I said, they won't. It won't go past July. I mean, that would be the end of it all. They won't go into August because 
Well, you're right on the verge of training camp at that point. I mean, rookies report first week of September. So, you know, you've lost a year at that point. I mean, they'll they'll make the call, I think, long before that. They'll they'll make it. Where are we here? March 13th, and we're pretty much March is done. You'd have to think it's well into April before they do anything. Regular season was scheduled to end, what, around the 4th or 5th or something as it was. Everybody's got about, what, 12, 13 games left. So what do you do, though, with with the team? All right, put the commissioner's hat on there, Liam. Let's just have yeah. some fun with this. Mr. McGuire, what, what are you going to do now that the league is going to come back? And Or um, depending on how much time you have, let's say you're coming back, but you, you have to end the regular season. How do you deal – how do you handle the teams that were on the cusp of maybe trying to get that wild card spot? Yeah, well, unfortunately, the hands – you know, your hands been forced by, by this – health situation so you know i mean uh it calls for it calls for unusual measures and in this case here i think you got to go by winning percentages and you take you take your teams that are that are in the playoffs based on winning percentages in their respective take teams with wins over the overtime ties no myself myself personally you're saying myself and then you can give your thought but in in my case uh if i was commissioner i would i would just make the decree I would go to the owners and say, look, uh, you know, this is screwing some of you. There's no doubt about it. But because we can't play 82 games, we have to do something. I don't think there's any one solution. Like, there's, what do you do? Either roll it back so everybody's at game 68 or game 67, and you take the standings from there, or you take winning percentages. Those are your only two options. You have no other options. If, if, if you're going to, if the regular season ends, those are your only two options. So make a call. And then you got to stand by it because no matter what you do, someone's going to be pissed off because you're screwing somebody who doesn't have the opportunity to play those remaining games. But this is the thing. This is the unusual scenario. So we want to continue to have a Stanley Cup with the best of sevens. We've got the green light. We're out from underneath this death sentence, you know, worldwide. So we're going to play. Playoffs are scheduled to start the sixth or seventh, whatever it is. And and so if we can make that, then then sorry. Some of you, uh, unfortunately, are going to be on the outside looking in, whereas maybe if you had been able to play the games, you might have been able to squeeze in. What do you do? There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to do it. What about the idea of you don't give everybody the full, whatever, it's 13, 15 games left. What if you give everybody five or six regular seasons and then you shorten the first two rounds of the playoffs like they used to, best of three, best of five? Maybe that gives them a little space uh, to kind of, you know, fit that, that regular season in or at least a, a small portion of it and say here look here's your shot this is the only way we're going to do this you're not getting 13 yeah. games here's six games whoever comes out at the end and then we're going to go best of three best of five seven and seven yeah uh, yeah listen if that's that's that is an alternative so i i guess you can get creative and do it that way i was saying you know if you wanted to if you did have a green light here in 20 you know uh 23 24 days to start as per scheduling as it was originally scheduled, if you got that green light to go ahead, which frankly I, I really doubt. But I mean, if if you do, if they did get it and and they wanted to to stay to the best best of sevens, then they'd have to do it that way. If you want to go back, and you're right, I mean, in the late seventies, it was a best of three, the first round, and the first teams the team that were first in divisions got a buy, and and uh, you played a best of three. Then it went to a best of five, and then in 1987. All series across the board were best of sevens. Like one of the best series, one of the best games ever in hockey history was right in your backyard, brother. Islanders-Rangers, 1984, game five. 
-hmm. the Kenny Morrow overtime goal, one of the four that he scored. I mean, all the guy did was just everything he touched turned to gold from the miracle U.S. Olympic team 1980. And he rolls right in with the New York Islanders. I mean, my God, what a start of a hockey career. And and uh, but that game to me is one of the greatest games ever played in the history of the sport of hockey. And that last five minutes, that third period, let alone the overtime, are absolutely insane. Insane. But so you could certainly do that. You could go to the teams, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying that? On, the, on that memory, I'm, I'm still I still got PTSD from that as a kid. <laughs> My God. I know the Islanders Maloney Maloney guy, in, the, in the early 80s. You just couldn't get by them after that. Uh, after it's like it's like you it's like you pulled on Superman's cape in, in 78 there or 79, I should say. And uh, and and then rolled in and then had the Habs down too. I mean, down one nothing and up two nothing in game two. I remember that vividly. And it looked like uh, maybe uh, maybe it was going to be a Ranger version of a miracle. But um, but still, the Islanders obviously proved their medal, and we all know that. But you're right. Look, you could do that. You could do that. You could say, look, we can't give you whatever, so we're going to give everybody. But then there's still going to be a disproportionate number of games. It's like somebody, you know, not everybody right now is at 60, the same number of games. Yeah. So how do you do it? Like, are you going to play it so that everybody ends up at whatever, 72 or 3? I mean, I guess if that's if that's what you're saying, okay. I go along with that. If you, I mean, it's just a scheduling thing and an arena thing. But they're smart people. There's They could probably. And then if you're shortening the first round, then, you know, you could you could probably still keep this thing relatively on time. That's if. They were to get a green light here at some point inside the next 30 days. So you still you still have uh, playoffs starting in and around when they're when they're have, recently. It's yeah. going to have to be sooner than that, brother. I think uh, I think 30 days. I don't think it's going to happen. They're, they're going to have to know like within 15, 20 days. I think realistically, that would be lead me to my next question to you. If they do, and and this is not just going to be the NHL. This is all the sport leaks right now. You know the you know NBA. Oh or yeah, the but they cancel the Masters today for God's sake. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I know, I get it. I mean, like those, but I mean, to me, the golf tournament, they could technically, they could move that, right? I mean, they could, they could shift that towards the end of the year if they wanted to, I guess. What I'm, what my next question to you would be, is if they do cancel it, what do you think's the consolation prize? Do they give anybody a special trophy if it's the Blues or the Bruins for being the highest points at the end of the year? What, what do they do, man? They don't get a damn thing. You don't get a damn thing. It, 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 it's just, you know what? It's like uh, it's like uh, Major League Baseball when they shut down in 94. You want to talk to the Montreal Expos fans who are still uh, in huge abundance, especially in this area and down points east of here towards the city of Montreal, how they felt they got screwed when, when that labor st- stoppage uh, shut down Major League Baseball, they were the best team in baseball that year, you know, and, and uh, they they could have had as good a chance as any to win a World Series the year after the two years. Like, Toronto had won the two previous, and the Expos were, were looking like maybe it was going to be their turn. So, you know, you look at this year, and and you, you want to talk to Vancouver fans, or you want to talk to Edmonton Oilers fans who have just, since since they picked up McDavid, have done nothing but suck, really, other than that one year. <laughs> And and uh, Vancouver fans, you got Ovi going for nine fifties. Uh, maybe another Rocket Richard. You got you know the, the Toronto Leaf Maple Leaf fans, or you know their biggest quandary is: Would we have been swept by Tampa, or could we have gone to Game Seven and lose? I mean, that's a big thing. <laughs> oh, you're a devil, you are. You're a devil. <laughs> oh man. 
Man, yeah. it's uh, it's it's a trip, man. Hey, look, it just sucks. I, you yeah. know, but you can't give it. anybody anything, Paulie. It's over. If you're pulling the plug on it, it's it. That's all. Uh, you can't give a president's trophy. I don't think. I think you just cancel everything. I mean, maybe you can do individual awards. You want to give out the Art Ross Trophy and the Hart and the Calder and all that. I mean, you played 85% of the games. I don't know that fans would have a huge problem with that. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I mean, if you wanted to give those out, but you can't give out, certainly can't give the Stanley Cup, and that's the that's the be-all to end-all. So, to me, you just say, hey, look, extenuating circumstances globally here, hello, and and there's just nothing... Nothing we could do. So it's, it's you know, there was no Stanley Cup awarded in 1919. There was no Stanley Cup awarded in 2005. Remember all the kerfuffle about that? You had so many. You yeah. had people going to lawyers. You know, they wanted, uh, we had a, the woman here, who was a governor general, Adrian Clarkson, wanted the women to play for the Stanley Cup. Holy <sighs> Jesus. So, you know, I mean, it's it's just everybody and their brother had an idea. There were beer league teams that said, well, we'll have a global challenge and the beer league trophy and they get the Stanley Cup because it was originally an amateur trophy anyway. And so, you know, I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's, you know, shut down it's so it's funny shut that down. you bring that up because, you know, you forget sometimes 2005. You forget that. Yeah, we lost the freaking season. You know, we didn't. Ha- I yeah. mean. Yeah. That's that's funny because here I am. I'm so focused on '95 uh, and the and the lockout season and uh, you know the year after the Rangers won the cup. That was the year the Devils went on to win. And uh, you know I can never forget that season. That was the last season of the Nordiques. You know, and they they played the Rangers in that first round. And what a series that was. You know, that's when Sackick and Forsberg and they were all still wearing the the white and the blue up in Quebec. And Crawford was the coach and. Uh, remember that that season coming back, and uh, what do you remember about that in terms of how many games were left, and, and they got that uh, that that all worked out in in uh, in ninety five. Yeah, well, they they played they ended up playing a forty eight game season, which is exactly what they did in twenty thirteen. So they 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 got that thing settled where they were able to still play, you know, at, at least some hockey, and they they got forty eight games in, and then the playoffs ran as per normal. So. They basically started the season at what would have been anyway in and around what they felt was the, uh, you know, the 40, uh, 40, excuse me, uh, 30, 32 game, 33 game mark somewhere in and around there. So so they, they played 48 games. And um, what I remember is that um, uh, Yermer Jagger won the Art Ross trophy, even though him and Lindros were tied in points. And and Jagger had scored more goals. So uh, Lindros got the heart that year. But uh Jagger got the Art Ross, and that was the third time in NHL history that that had happened. You had Gretzky and Dion in 1980 tied, and then you had, uh, um, I believe it was Bobby Hull and Andy Bathgate in 1962 tied as well. And it went to Hull for goals and it went to Marcel Dion for goals in, in 1980, and here we had that situation. So, And I think, obviously, um, you know, uh, well, Montreal missed the playoffs for the first time since 1970. That was was fairly traumatic for me, personally. (laughs) I certainly (laughs) remember that. And uh, um, I just remember, you know, New Jersey and Scott Stevens. Like, he was was just a beast. I mean, he just killed guys. And when he had Kozlov in the finals... And then looked over at the Red Wing bench and was pointing at a couple of them saying, you're next. I just went, <laughs> sweet Jesus. <laughs> He's going to kill them all. 
and they they had no answer for him. They had no answer for him. And the other thing I remember too about that is that was the start of Scotty playing the Russian five, and and you know he he was uh, you know adamant about keeping them together, and and uh, uh, you know they they played great and they carved a piece in history. But um, the next year he he tried to keep them together again, and they got exposed. They got exposed big time, especially in that first round the next year against Winnipeg. They just physically pounded them. And by the time they got to Colorado, and even before Claude Lemieux ran Chris Draper seven rows up, uh, you know, you, you had you had Scotty already starting to dismantle the team. And then the following year, uh, he played them apart um, way more than he did together. And we know the rest of that story. They they won that Stanley Cup, and then they repeated the next season. So, And without Konstantinov, because then he got hurt in a limo accident that summer. But uh, um, in 95, to me, uh, the New Jersey Devils, you had the emergence of Marty Brodeur. You had Niedermeyer, who, who, won, who has won every single solitary thing there is to win in hockey. He's won it. And with his first and, and Scott Stevens was just a beast. And you had guys like um, Neil Broughton, you know, longtime Minnesota North Star and also a fantastic American hockey player. was for years uh, well decorated and documented his career. And he goes on to win that Stanley Cup with New Jersey. And I remind people all the time that their scoring leader in the playoffs that year for New Jersey, their scoring leader was Stefan Richer, <laughs> formerly oh, of wow. the Montreal Canadiens. What a blast you know? in the past, yeah. Last in the past, who ends up in New Jersey, but they've become like you know they they had uh, uh, they had they had made some they had made some moves to to bring some guys over. You know, I mean, you had whether it be Jacques Lemaire who came over, or you had Larry Robinson who came over, and Lou, of course, running the organization with an iron fist from '88 on, and and uh, and well, you know, I mean, his 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 uh, what he's done in hockey, but that's what I remember. Uh, 48 games, but I was just thankful that they got it on, just like 2013. Because I think 2013 was perilously close to being cancelled outright, and I think we were fortunate to get those games in and get that half season in, and sadly that just wasn't the case in 2004, 2005, and I can tell you, Paulie, how much that hurt me personally, man. It just, it just, and this already is has as well, you know, I mean, okay, I lose a gig, whatever, like, you know, I mean, that's my life lifeline i'm one tiny little partial you know uh speck on the hockey landscape but but it was um i've already lost a couple of gigs and you know i use those to pay my bills you know yeah. so mm-hmm. uh it's uh it really hurt in 0405 you know i was still married at the time and, i remember yeah you know, we, we knew each that, other liz, back then yeah yeah we we had met then and uh so you knew that you know liz and i were still hooked uh, hooked up thankfully and at that time the kids were young and and, you know, I scraped and clawed and got by. Liz worked, thankfully, had a job, you know, made so we were okay. We, you know, were able to live. But, uh, boy, that really hit me hard in 0405. And, you know, we talked, we started off this show talking about Brad Marsh. Nobody that I know personally got hurt, hurt worse than him in 0405. Like, that was, that was a death blow for him. Like, he lost seven figures from a business perspective. And his business was never the same. And he never really fully recovered from that. And ultimately, you know, after uh, after Melnick chased him out of the building with uh, just ri- ridiculous infrastructure costs and everything else, because he wanted to put in his Burt's Bar, like the Barbados theme one that he had, chased Marshy out of there. And Marshy had to go to another location. It never really took off to the same extent. And, and he ended up uh, losing it and, and had a tough couple of years. So for him to bounce back and do what he's done, and don't forget, in the meantime, you know, he decided as he was bouncing back and trying to get his head straight. You know what he did, eh? 
He got on his uh, ten. He got on his ten speed poly, and he biked across Canada. Really? Yeah, yeah. For the Boys and Girls Club, he biked. Wow. Te- he biked ten thousand kilometers in ninety days, I believe it was. Wow. And and uh, he raised thousands of dollars for the uh, for the Boys and Girls Club, and and he's never looked back since. And then he got an opportunity to go back to the Philly area. I mean, don't forget. I mean, he got traded there in '81 from the Flames for Mel Bridgman. And he he played about all, I think about eight years in that Flyer organization. And they went to the finals twice when he was there. The semis a couple of times. Like they were in the finals in 85 and 87, lost the Oilers both times. But uh, Brad Marsh is pretty well respected around there. I can tell you right now. And he may have been a big plotting stay-at-home defenseman, but I only scored 23 goals in the NHL. But I'll tell you what, man. Um, I remember the late John D'Amico telling me to my face that 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 Brad Marsh was the physically the strongest man that he ever had to pull out of a fight. He said, Liam, you have no idea. Trying to pull that guy out of a fight is like it was like pulling on a on a bulldozer. And uh, Brad Marsh's physical strength was was insane. And uh, and he was uh, when he finished with the Ottawa Senators in 92, 93, he used to. Uh, you know, there was no, there was no uh, CTC, you know, uh, Scotiabank Place, Corral Center, Palladium at the time, all the names of the building. They played at the Civic Center where the junior team played, the 67s, and they trained at, uh, at the KRC, the Canada Rec Center. And they had a training room there for the Ottawa Senators. And Brad Marsh got a, because he loves to bike, he loves to get on his 10-speed. He had his 10-speed, he had it affixed to um, uh, a uh, treadmill. So he had it he had it bolted on there. And he could run that treadmill at the highest speed possible and he'd be on that thing biking. Biking like he's in the Tour de France. And and uh, it's amazing how many kilometers, how many miles he biked on that thing. And this was his last year in hockey. Wow. This was his his 16th 16th year pro and he was still doing that. Amazing, amazing, amazing guy. So uh I got all day for him, but uh Kind of rambled a bit there, but uh, that's what I do when I'm drinking. <laughs> that's all good, man. That's why the bleeding show's called Sticks and Taps Me, mate. That's Too right. Much. That's uh, right. Only lifted. So look, man. Before we get down to uh, the end here, and uh, we're you know we've been talking uh, every week up leading up to St. Pat's. We'll, we'll do a little Irish nod here at the end. We usually always do the the toast of the show, but um, obviously the. We have to touch on uh, on Ray Richard passing away, obviously, and and uh, I believe you were talking to me earlier today. You, you had a milestone that you wanted to mention about today too. So uh, I'm going to throw it back to you and uh, obviously talk about Richard. There, uh, brother of the famous Maurice Richard, Rocket Richard, yeah. and uh, maybe just get a, a couple of uh, thoughts on him and, and his passing, and and uh, I guess more you know for me and and some other fans down here down in the states who who might not be as familiar with him and, and maybe talk about uh, his legacy with the Canadians as opposed to the more famous Maurice. Right. And, and today is 65 years ago. Today was uh, as a, is a, an infamous anniversary of sorts for Maurice Richard. We're on the cusp of, uh, of what would have been the anniversary of the Richard ride in 1955. But the, the genesis of it actually began four days earlier, which is today's date, March 13th, 1955. And I'll touch on that in a second, but you're, you're right. Henri Richard uh, deserves a mention for sure. Obviously, Paulie, he's, uh, he'll be forever linked to the number 11, uh, not the sweater number, which was 16, but 11 with the number of Stanley cups that he won. It's the most ever by a player, 
next to her, Jean Belabo and Yvonne Cornoyer, <coughs> excuse me, with 10 each. And um, uh, Rhee won 11 in 20 years. He won five his first four years. We were touching on talking about Kenny Morrow earlier, who uh, wins Olympic gold in miraculous fashion, pun intended, in 1980, and rolls right into to uh, you know five straight finals and four straight cups with the Islanders. Pretty pretty incredible career start for him. And Henri Richard won five cups his first five years. But I love the story. You know, he's 15 years of Rockets junior. There was eight kids in the family. Rocket was the oldest. Henri was the second youngest. 15 years younger. And um, and uh, Rocket brings him into the 55 training camp because the junior league folded that Henri was playing in. And he had turned 19. And and uh, he had led the league in scoring twice as a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old. And... and uh, or 17 turning 18, 18 turning 19, you know what I mean? Yep. And and uh, and the league folded. And so they were, the Montreal Junior Canadiens were going to play a series of exhibition games and then just challenge, get in get in line to challenge for the Memorial Cup in, in 55, 56. And um, Henri was 19. He had a year of junior eligibility left. He talked it over with the Rocket and his family, and he said, well, let's just go down and sign you up at the Habs. So he just wheeled him in, <laughs> wheels him into Frank Selke's office, the general manager at the time, and he says, it is my younger brother, Henri Richard. He wants to play for Montreal. Wow. <laughs> okay, okay, Rocket. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so they bring Henri in a training camp, and it really was just to appease the Rocket. Like, we'll put the kid in. I mean, he's, he's he was five foot seven. He was 160 pounds. You know, the Rocket at that time, about 5'10", five ten, five ten and change, had over three inches on his brother. And Rocket was going about probably, you know, about 180, 178, and chiseled, right, hard. And, uh, you know, it already killed half the league. So... So, uh, you know, so we'll appease them. We'll just, uh, we'll just appease them. And they, nobody could get the puck off Henri in camp. They, could, they couldn't get the puck off him. And, and uh, so Selkie and, and Dick and uh, Toe Blake were going, Jesus, this guy's actually pretty legit good. Like, you know, <laughs> we we'll keep him around here through the start of the season, which they did. And the Canadians played uh, three games. And you know something, Paulie? I'll tell you something. They signed him. On uh, on uh, they signed him on October 13th, and two days later, which was a Thursday, and on two days later on Saturday, October 15th, 1955, he played his first game against uh, your New York Rangers, and the Habs won 4-1, and Henri scored his first goal, and uh, Rocket got two that night, and his career started, and he went from there. He played the next 20 seasons, winning 11 cups. He ended up taking the captaincy from Jean Beliveau in 1971, and he he captained the Habs. Uh, uh, to a cup win in 1973, which is the team, the Stanley Cup winning team with the most Hall of Fame players on it, which is 11. You got 11 Hall of Fame players on that 73 team. He was obviously one of them. He went in the Hall in 1979. And then he retired in 75. And I saw him play his third last game ever in the NHL on Saturday, May 1st, 1975. At the Montreal Forum, Game 3 semifinals, Montreal-Buffalo. The Habs won 7-0. I went down with two buddies named Kevin Jardine and Phil Byrne. We were all 15. And uh, the university kids gave us beer on the bus. We thought we were, un- <laughs> we just thought we were kings of the world. And we went in. Guy Lafleur had his first playoff hat trick. And I tell people all the time, I watch Glenn Sather was playing for Montreal that night. Spinner Spencer wow. was playing for the, for the Buffalo Sabres. I watched the French Connection. Martin Perrault and Robert, and uh, I watched Jerry Desjardins, and I watched um, uh, Ken Dryden, and uh, making his comeback, 
after the year he sat out and I watched Henri Richard. He was in the lineup and played. And I watched Yvon Cornway, my favorite player of all time. The Habs lost that series. And um, Henri retired at the end of it. And uh, he went in the Hall of Fame four years later. So uh, an illustrious career. Not 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 a big points guy, right? I mean, he ended up with over 1,000 points, 1,046. He ended up with 1,258 games, which is a record by Montreal Canadian standards. Uh, he led the NHL in assists a couple times. He was on a first All-Star team. He was on second All-Star teams. He played in multiple All-Star games. And obviously, 11-time Stanley Cup winner. He won the Bill Masseton Trophy in 1974 for dedication and perseverance to hockey. And he deserves his spot in the Hall of Fame. He deserves his spot in, uh, in, as a hockey icon. And he deserves his spot as a very worthy brother to the explosive, you know, the explosive um, and, and, uh, and incredible older brother that was Maurice the Rocket Richard. So there's a little bit on his uh, younger brother who passed away last week. And, uh, and uh, may he rest in peace. I met him a few times and did a gig with him at the bar that has my name at it here on it here in Ottawa. Him and Henri and Cornoye came to the bar in 2007, and wow. we had a yeah we had a fabulous uh, fabulous afternoon there with them in a full house. And uh, Henri was very gracious, very humble. Tell you something else, Paulie. He didn't back down from anybody. He fought Ted Green. He fought Reggie Fleming. He fought Wayne Cashman. Uh, you know, he, 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 he took on, uh, he fought Bobby Bond. I mean, he, he, uh, he fought his own battles. I mean, there were, there are stories for sure. He got into it with Eddie Shack one time in Montreal and the rocket was there. He, this couple years after rocket retired and, uh, Shaq was going off the ice and the rocket charged down from his seats and, and came across and threw a wild right hand at Shaq's head, trying to, trying to hit him, sparked a mini riot there in the forum again. But, um, you know, he did, you know, it was still at the end of the day is his younger brother. Right. So yep. blood stick and water, man. You got to go. You got to go. And uh, but that's uh, just just another part of an anecdotal uh, uh, part of uh, Henri Richard's great career. So outstanding stuff. Uh, you know, I'm a little disappointed, uh, Liam. I mean, you, you told us enough there, but uh, what, what was his favorite pair of shoes? <laughs> <laughs> I know, you're you know, he had mind. I, you know, I'm, you blow me away, man. I'm sitting here listening <laughs> to you. And it just how it just, it flows out of you. Uh, your memory is incredible, man. But that, it's just, that's super stuff, man. That is unbelievable. Oh, <laughs> I hope you fun. folks it's out there fun. listening appreciate Liam McGuire and his just <laughs> incredible way to not only retrieve information to, to teach us and to the storytelling, but, man, you just got it down to date, time. The two guys in the bus with you? Are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> I, that's epic stuff, man. I, I was at the forum 344 times, and 78 of those were playoff games. And, and that's my first ever game, and it was a playoff game. So it was the first of 78 times I was there for playoffs, and, and, and first of 344 in total over 21 years. So there's no way I'm forgetting that. I mean, that was – and to watch Guy Lafleur's first playoff hat trick, and we had standing – Standing room only at the top of the blues. And boy, I'll tell you what, man, it was like a religious experience walking in there for the first time. And I was down there so many times, Paulie. You used to take the bus down from Ottawa. They had a deal for 40 bucks. It was your bus down and back and, and your ticket. And I, I would get on the bus with three things. I would get on with the NHL guide and record book, which was like a pocketbook in those days, but a thick one. I would get on with the Montreal media guide, the Montreal Canadian media guide, and I would get on with 12 Molson X. That was my beer of choice since I was seven or eight years old. And I would get on with 12 X. <laughs> what were you drinking and... at five? 
<laughs> I would chug about five. What were or you six. putting and, in your Lucky Charms? <laughs> yeah, no, no. My mom would throw it in the lunch for sure, and and uh, I would get on the bus. And Polly, I was always first on the bus, always, always, always first on the bus. And I sat in the exact same seat every time. You don't. I am so superstitious; it's ridiculous. And I'm right there with Phil Esposito in terms of superstition. Mm-hmm. And I would sit six seats from the back on the driver's side on the outside. That was my seat. I would sit down. If anybody wanted to sit inside of me, no problem. Because the bus was always full. So anyone could always come in. And then I'd be in the parking lot. I'd start chugging some pints. And as soon as the bus moved, I'd finish whatever the one I was drinking. And then as soon as we hit the highway, I'd go up to the front of the bus. And I would say to the driver, can I, can I use the microphone? And he'd say, <laughs> what for, kid? And I'd say, well, I want to entertain the passengers going down. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I'm the NHL hockey expert of the world. Really? <laughs> and I said, yeah. Uh, I said, I'm going to challenge. I'm going to have a contest and walk up and down the aisle talking to everybody and keep them entertained on the way down to Montreal. Go for it, kid. Every single time. And I'd tell on the speaker, introduce myself, say, I'm going to come up and down the aisle. If you got a question, you want to try and stump me? It's a buck a question or a pint a question. Your choice. Wow. And I go up and down the aisle for two hours. And I'd make on average about 50 bucks, which would pay for my ticket. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, I more than uh, poured <laughs> enough beer for the way home. And uh, then I went and watched the game. Now, Paulie, I'll be honest, there was a few times I didn't make it home. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, different things happened. But it wasn't my fault. What we had was a failure to communicate ah. with some of the local constabulary. And... Uh, <laughs> I just had to point out the errors of their way, and they said, no, 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 son. <laughs> the errors of your way are going to be in the Crowbar Hotel. But, <laughs> but uh, no, you know what? Um, it was uh, the first five or six years I went to the forum was on the bus, and, and they are some of the greatest memories of my life. So there was no way in hell I could ever forget May 1st, 1975. Uh, it was three weeks before my 16th birthday. And, and, uh, you know, I'm 15 years old with, but two of my greatest friends, Phil Byrne, the guy who got me into hockey trivia to begin with has kids riding the bus to elementary school and Kevin Jardine, I was his best man and he was my best man. So you want to talk about friendships. So, you know, I mean, this, this is, uh, and I played a lot of hockey and a lot of ball hockey with both those guys. And, uh, I love them both dearly and their families. And so it's just no way in hell I would ever forget that. No way. Uh, super stuff, man. I love it. I love listening to it. And uh, like I said, I just uh, applaud your uh, your memory, the way, the way you uh, are able to just kind of – I just throw you something, boom. It's just – it's fantastic, man. It's uh, it's just great to hear. And uh, those are great stories, man. There's nothing better, like I said, when you were a kid, you know, growing up, especially when you – you know, for every diehard hockey fan, you know, whatever city you've grown up in. And, and that's the greatest memory when you when you start off as a kid. Um, just those memories that take you back and whether it was, you know, yeah. us here on Long Island, you know, during, you know, me during the, the Islanders dynasty and being a Ranger fan. And, you know, back then, you know, we used to talk about, uh, I was talking to this with a buddy of mine the other night who was on the, um, the THS show on Wednesday and stuff about how it used to be in the old days. Just, you know, you'd, you'd come home and you wouldn't have to worry about anything, you know, as, as opposed to today. And, um, you know, how the times are just a little different. But, man, we had the quads, the four-wheelers, and, and grab the stick, and we'd go out there with our favorite jerseys and, and play until it got dark, you know, and that would just be – and that would be every 
day. Because back then, Liam, here on Long Island, man, because uh, that's the thing about the Islanders, even Ranger fans. Being Ranger fans living on Long Island, like I said, there's, there's just so much to do out here and stuff in terms of just uh, parks, recreations, leagues, all that other stuff that's a little different from living downtown Manhattan and the city and everything else and the, and the outer boroughs. But uh, we were spoiled out here on Long Island. But, man, you know, the Islanders Rangers series back then, I mean, hockey was just – Oh, Incredible, yeah. and that's what yeah. we did. And I've, we've, I've got so many great memories myself just playing, and and we we've actually got a I got a reunion scheduled here at the end of March, and we don't know if it's going to happen now. And I've got almost like fifty to sixty guys, uh, all different aspects of guys that I played hockey with, uh, you know, from ice to roller to deck, and then just you know, uh, lifelong buds, friends, cousins, and everything. And we've got about sixty guys that are they're, they're supposed to come out to this thing, and. Just to get together and just lap it up and talk about those old stories and stuff when we were kids playing hockey. It's all around yeah. hockey, you know, and we love it so that, much. There's the unifying thing right there, isn't it? It's yeah. it's the sport of hockey, and, and, and of course, that just doesn't entail – I mean, on the ice is, is primarily what it is, but it does – if you're carrying a stick and taking shots and keeping score, it can be a number of other types of hockey, but – you know, uh, largely what we do is we focus on what happens on the ice. But you, you and I have talked about this. You've told me about your background and you know what it was like for you and everything else. And it's no different. You know, I mean, it's that's you channeled that and you've got those memories. I, I hope that reunion happens, and I'm sure that would be fantastic. And and it was the exact same for me. I mean, I look, the only difference with me is with getting into the stats, right, and the numbers and the history and the trivia and getting this rep and it growing for me. That took that that you know sort of took me down that that career path i guess you know, yeah, it's awesome. call it that. so yeah. that's what i've ended up doing with it but in terms of the sport itself and the grassroots or the you know the uh the origin of it all the genesis of it all for you and i was like i, I couldn't wait to you know to sign up and play at the at the age of you know eight years old here in here in osgood right in the village where i live right now you know i started playing here in 1967 for god's sake so you know, the year they put that arena in there, 67, 68, there was no artificial ice. Um, you know, we had to we had to wait until the ice would freeze. So we'd have to play. We'd have to start playing in another town called Kentville, about uh, about, you know, 12, 13 miles south of here. They had artificial ice. So we'd start there until the ice froze over in Osgood and we'd come back and play in this old burn and which has since obviously been refurbished, but <laughs> it was it was pretty rudimentary back in those days, I can tell you. But uh Man, oh man, it's good stuff. And you know, Polly, I know we're kind of running past our. <laughs> it wouldn't be a sticks and tap show. And I'll mention more on this later. It wouldn't be a sticks and tap show. You know, I, I, I know. I got one lad. I he messaged me and said, "Not for us, not to worry about it." He he said he enjoyed it anyway. But I, you know, I know there's so many podcasts for anybody who hangs in with us. I appreciate it too. So you know, but uh, we do. I I do get rambling, but I gotta give today. Today, 1955, March 13th. Uh, that's 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 65 years ago, and and that's Rocket Richard was playing in Boston and got in it with Hal Lako late in the third period, and this is the incident that precipitated his suspension and then ultimately the Richard riot. So I wanted to make mention of that. It was it was 65 years ago today that he got in with Hal Lako, former teammate of his, but Lako cut him badly. The rocket was bleeding, and uh, then he went back at Laco, and and Laco had uh, was ready to fight, and Rocket said, "No, I'm not." You know, he 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 basically broke his stick over him, and went, he just absolutely lost his mind, and he was trying to get other players' sticks and and hit Laco with more sticks, and then he was grabbed from behind by a linesman 
named Cliff Thompson, and he, and he turned around and decked him and actually knocked him out. And this, of course, you know, uh, three days later in a hearing in Montreal, Clarence Campbell suspended him for the rest of the regular season, which was three games and the entire playoffs. And, and uh, you know, he was leading the league in scoring at that time. He never won an Art Ross trophy. And, of course, Montreal went on to lose to Detroit in seven games in the finals without the Rocket you know, uh, who was 34 years old at the time and led the league in goal scoring that year. So I think he would have been a factor and they didn't have him. So everything started 65 years ago today. And next week we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, about the riot, but I wanted to give a, give a shout out to that. It's hard, uh, hard to believe because it's one of the most infamous moments, if not the most infamous moment in NHL history, 65 years ago today, it had its origin. Yeah, it's incredible. And I definitely want to carry that on next week too because uh I'd love to learn more about Rashad too because you know he's he's known as this storied you know um you know persona and obviously in terms of his success as a champion and and being a Montreal Canadian um but it it seems to me just to curious and again we'll, we'll save it for next week just to learn uh the kind of person he was to get to that kind of a moment to have that kind of a you know uh just to kind of lose it like like that, you know what I'm saying? In and around the rest of his career, you know what I'm saying? Because, um, you yeah. know, whether, whether you know, to, is that the stain on his career, uh, you know, so on and so forth. But def, let's definitely save that for next week, Liam. Because, no, he's got uh, no stain on his career. No, I, I, no I know, but, you know. <laughs> so he uh, went nuts and broke a stick over yeah, a guy. Well, Big I, 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 you, know, you know what I'm saying? I, it's not, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But you you know the the other forces uh, the other opinions out there. Like I said, it could be looked that way as far as you know that. But again, we'll we'll save it. Like I said, I I I am aware of them and stuff. But like I said, people you know what they you know what they call that in French. Tell me, Moji anglais. <laughs> and that means a <laughs> damn English pig. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you, brother. It was oh, the English man. against the French. That was a cultural revolution. The Richard riot on St. Patrick's Day of all days. Well, let's save that. Yes, we will. Let's save it because I, I want to hear it. I want to hear all about it. And I can't wait for you to, to talk about it and tell the story yeah. of it as well, too. All We're right, pal. Whiskey throughout the entire show when we do next week's. <laughs> I thought we were doing that all. Wait a second. You weren't doing that now? <laughs> oh, wait. Sorry. Yeah, I was. <laughs> all right, buddy. Let's wrap this sucker up. Of what we do, we've been talking at St. Patrick's Day next week. And unfortunately, maybe uh, nobody's going to be gathering together in the mass numbers that we usually do. Obviously, the parades have been canceled down here. And, and that's an unfortunate thing. But we won't allow that to taint the, uh, the, the holiday for us, the Irish. So real quick, uh, we'll do something on the uh, uh, Irish songs today, the Irish music. I'm just going to say real quick, I always... I always have a great laugh with my folks because, um, you know, most of the Irish songs are just sad songs. You know, somebody's always died in the songs, whether it's Danny Boy or, you know, there's somebody went to jail, you know, the Fields of Athen Rye or, you know, uh, the town I love so well. Uh, you know, Dublin in the rare old times, you know, the guy talking about how a city love is that too- song. Yeah, I know. I, I play it. Reminds me of my dad so much. Oh yeah. Well, you know, we that's our Dublin connection. And that's uh, I sang it the other night, Tuesday night. It's in my repertoire too. Is that right, Paulie? Oh yeah, man. I, I, I do a bunch of them, man. So, um, you know, and it's funny because, yeah, uh, you know, the owners and stuff were coming up to me and saying, Hey, you know, he was like, Hey, you really do this well. I said, you know, I was raised on these songs. 
You know, I said, I don't, I don't have them all memorized. Yeah. I said, around this time, I have to put up a chord sheet here and there, and I use some background tracks or something. But I know how all of them go, and I put the accent in. You, you, you can't sing, you know, ring-a-ring-a-rosy as the lights decline. You have to put the, you know, the bit of the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the accent in there and everything else. And that's why I joke around on the show with you, and we go back and forth. But that's how I was raised. But I always have a laugh. My folks used to host Christmas uh, at the house years ago when we were kids. And uh, the tradition of the Irish getting together is the Irish sing song. And uh, all the family would get around. And towards the end of the night, after the meal, and after a couple of my uncles took the naps, and we had the, the, the pints of Guinness would start opening up. And then you'd go around. Everybody would sit in the chair, and everybody had to sing a song. Go on, give us a song. Give us a song. You know, and you'd sing the song, and my uncles would shout out, halfway, halfway, and then start the song again. So it was always a great tradition. But I always did joke about it. I said, all this, the feckin' songs are so sad. <laughs> so, somebody's dying. <laughs> somebody's going to jail. So we used to joke about putting the Irish Christmas album together of all these sad songs. <laughs> so I was talking to my folks yesterday, and we were just bringing it up because, like I said, I'm out and about playing uh, always around Patty's Day and doing all the traditional songs of my shows, my solo shows and everything. And I had them cracking up yesterday. I said, because they would say, oh, Paul, you got to do this one. You got to do this one. And I said, all right, what's it about? And sure enough, oh, this is about uh, the song they were trying to tell me yesterday, Liam, was a song called Grace. And it's about this guy. He's in jail. <laughs> Again, he's in jail. <laughs> you know, these are all the rebellion songs. You know what I'm saying? This goes back, obviously. Yeah, um, that's great, yeah. man. I love it. I love it. It's hysterical. Sure. But um, so that's the big gas. I always joke. I said, yeah, every feckin' Irish song is some somebody's dead or dying. And you can only get But they song. have so many songs. Like, like you look at Johnson's Motor Car. That's an upbeat song. No, I know there's a ton of them. But like you know? I said, most of the ones that stand out, that's the, you know, uh, you know, Soldier Song is another great one. You know, One Road and all that stuff. And yeah, but, uh, you know, it, yeah. it's. Well, it, I'll I'll tell you what. I mean, and you've been. I mean, to me, um, I had never been anywhere. I haven't been in a lot of places. I'm not one of these world travelers, so I so I should I should I should say that. But I haven't been to. That was the first time in my life in 1989 when I was in a a bar. In this case, a pub in Dublin. And after they called last call and as we were just finishing up, uh, everybody stood up and sang the national anthem in the pub, the Irish national anthem, the soldier song. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, man, I mean, the hair in the back of my neck's going up even telling you, I said, oh, my God, like that was so (laughs) cool. I couldn't wait to tell my dad. And, uh, you know, that was that was just pretty, pretty neat. So, yeah, you know, you got a thousand year plus history, uh, 700 years plus of it. You were oppressed. So you're you're going to uh, develop a certain uh, a certain style. Oh, poor Mary! Oh, poor Patrick! He's off to jail again. Yeah, he's on hey, the dole. He's on my, the my, dole. Gra- my grandfather was in Kilmainham, man. My grandfather did time in Kilmainham. He was there. I've been to that jail. It's a tourist attraction now. My grandfather <laughs> served in there as as for for sectarian participation. You know. Yeah. Uh, even though the Civil War and led to the treaty and, and, and the establishment of the Republic in 21, 22, and the 26 counties in the South, the six in the North, sadly, which hopefully maybe in the near future we'll see uh, evaporate. Having said that, uh, you know, I mean, that's my background, right? So I can't, I can't be a hypocrite or a revisionist. 
and I'm not, I'm, I'm never going to be neither of those things. So, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll go out on, on my sword and my crest and my honor, which was my dad's. And, uh, I, I would have, sometime I got to be in front of you when you're singing those songs. Cause those, that's great stuff. I love that stuff. And you're right. You make a good point, Polly. You know, a lot of them are the ballads that say, oh, my God, woe is us, and look what's happened. And as all- dead as oh. dead I be. <laughs> but but there, there's a ton that, and, you know, probably none more so, right, than the Patriot game. I mean, if, there, if, if, you, can't, if you can't throw a little bit of emotion into singing or, or understanding the Patriot game and what, what that time period really represented, which is 1916, uh, specifically Easter Monday, the 24th, 1916. If you can't understand that and you've got a drop of Irish blood coursing through your veins, then, you know, then, then uh, you know, frankly, you should uh, turn in your Irish colors. Yep. I mean, you, you should, there should be some requirement to understand a little bit of the history. And, and, that, and how was that done largely in Ireland? Through song. Yep. Through song, absolutely. But, you know, as a musician... You must then have to find the balance, right? I mean, you've got to you've got to come back with maybe uh, jug a punch or uh, whiskey. You're the devil or Johnny McEldo. I mean, you can give us any one of those, and and uh, if you can't get the crowd going with uh, with with songs like that, then something's wrong, right, brother? Oh yeah, I mean, there's such a great mix. I mean, Seven Drunken Nights, and uh, I yeah. always I always think of you when I sing All for Me Grog. All for me grog, yeah. Me jolly, jolly grog. All for me tea and tobacco, yeah, yeah. I know it all. I know them all. I grew up with them. I yeah, grew up with same them. Same here, now, they, man. They, they so. big, like they, they, we played them. We had those records. My Uncle John was the one who got them for my parents. My dad had no idea who the Clancy brothers were. They came over. They they came, they came to North America, were primarily New York City, I believe. Um, I think was their first landing spot. Liam came last. Liam Clancy, he's the youngest, oh, the second youngest. I guess Bobby's the youngest, but he was just a, he was just in diapers then still. He's a big age difference between the brothers. But uh, Patty and Tommy came first, and then Liam came, and they hooked up with Tommy Makeham. And they sold out Carnegie Hall for 11 straight nights. 11 straight nights, in, I believe, in 1962, in around that area. And if you need further proof of what they meant to the music scene, especially the folk scene at that time, you just need to ask Bob Dylan. I mean, Bob Dylan revered the Clancy brothers and Tommy Makeham, and they became fast friends yep. and and uh, played uh, numerous little uh, places in and around New York at, back, back at that time. You could Google that and probably get all the details on it. But, uh, I mean, to me, to me, they're the greatest export. I know you too. Let's be honest. That's not even in the same stratosphere. I get that, and I love you too as well, and I've seen them live. They're phenomenal. And the they polls. do Bloody Sunday. And the Pogues, for sure, the Pogues, I mean, just, uh, you know, part of that whole, you know, that particular genre. And, yeah, it's not my favorite type of music, but they sing some stuff, too, that's, that, that, that does show their allegiance towards their country. They do, and, and has do many others. But to me, obviously showing my age here, but uh, the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makeham, plus I, I saw them perform myself. I took a bus, a subway, and a streetcar in Toronto in 1983, uh, to see them play in Toronto, and uh, you know everybody was still alive. And then when you know when Liz and I, my 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 ex-wife and I, were on our honeymoon in Ireland in '94, I I went through the entire South until I found Liam Clancy. You know, and we we found him in the town. I told you this story many times. The town called uh, Ring, right down the south, 
And um, it was what an unbelievable day that was. Unbelievable day. I got a picture of it with me and him. And, and Liz, actually, is in the photo, too, with Liam Clancy. And, you know, and he's gone now, too. They're all gone. So, <laughs> so you channel those memories, man. It's all good. It's all good stuff. So, look, let's, um, let's do a toast of the week. And let's talk about this, this Clancy Brothers song that you want to uh, play here. And, in fact, that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll play this song out. We'll give a toast to everybody, and we'll play this song out instead of the usual outro that we do for Sticks right and Taps. But uh, talk about this song I got queued up, mate. Well, I'm going to give you a little toast there. Got one, too. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to down, down this whiskey. <laughs> a little shot of Jameson's. And um, this song, actually, talking about Tommy Makeham, is he's the one who kind of took this song. It's actually an old tune that goes back, has its origin going back to the 1800s. It's called Fare Thee Well in a Skillin. That's a, that's a name that Tommy Makeham gave it when he started singing it with the Clancy Brothers. And it actually was originally written about a British Army regiment that was leaving County Fermanagh. you got to remember Tommy Makeham is, is from Armagh and, and uh, you know, bandit country personified. So the lyrics, though, translated across the country of Ireland, north and south. And uh, Tommy took it, changed a few things in it, changed the name. And started singing it with the Clancy Brothers, and it's about the Inniskillen Dragoon, and uh, it's got a, it, you know, it's got a good upbeat. It's got great lyrics if you're into that at all. That's pretty much a March 17th thing for most people, but <laughs> I could play it uh, any time of the year, any time of the day, and I'll be reaching for the bottle. So if we're gonna go out on that, Polly. That's as good a way as any dander. Let's do it, buddy. And cheers to everybody. And uh, Santa, um, hopefully we'll we'll get back here uh, either maybe Monday or. Before St. Patrick's Day, if not, we'll carry it in over uh, after the holiday itself. But uh, uh, cheers to uh, to everybody through this uh, unique time we're going through. Hang in there, bottoms up, yep. slanta. It'll all be okay. Stay healthy out there, and uh, and for everybody who uh, hung in there for this one and all the sticks and taps, we appreciate it. Uh, it's always great to uh, sit here and do this with you guys. And Liam, love you, brother. I love, love, love talking to you. And uh, let's kick this song off. And before we do, though, as always, I always ask you to say say goodbye to the folks there, Liam. Absolutely, Polly. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. G'day. Cheers. Lovely women there to dandle on your knees.